welcome to the Young Pro Podcast, where our goal is to better equip people working with young adults to grow God's kingdom. Today we'll have a regular contributor and brains behind this operation, Mike Shaughnessy, as we discuss who exactly are the young professionals, where did this age demographic come from, and why is it so important to do outreach to them. I'm your host, Travis Wiesenberg, and this is the Young Pro Podcast. So, Mike, welcome to the show. You've had a largely developmental ministry career. You've developed high school programs, college programs, worked in the young professional space, even lifelong adult disciples. And now you're focusing more primarily on the young professional space. But I guess before we get into that, how did you get started with Christian work? I was converted when I was in, in high school. Went on to college and said I want to do youth work because I was a high school kid when I got converted. And... Um, so I did that for four years. I worked in a church as a youth minister full-time. And then as I watched what happened with the kids that I was working with when they went to college, and many of them just fell away from their faith. I didn't understand it at the time, but I could see that it was happening. And I could see it amongst my own high school friends as well. So I switched into doing college work and did that for oh, the better part of uh, the next 10 years. And saw a lot more success at creating and building up strong disciples. But even then, there was a drop-off when people left their college programs and went out into, quote-unquote, the real life. Stickiness was lacking. People didn't just stick with their faith. And I saw a need to cover the whole area from junior high to high school to college to young professionals into mature adult faith and recognize that if you don't handle that all correctly, you're, gonna, you're going to see a lot of transition failure. In fact, the transition failure rate, as in how many high school kids carry their faith into their college years, it's more than half of them lose their faith. It's a little less after college into young professional uh, years, but it's still quite high. Many estimates are as high as 40%. It's not surprising if you think of a, a good high school kid who's been involved in a youth program. He goes to church every Sunday. He goes to the youth group on Wednesdays. You know, he's in the music team. He's one of the leaders of the the whole crowd that he's involved in. He's got a small group for support. He's got a mentor who's training him and helping him grow in faith. Uh, He's got a set time when he does his Bible study. He goes uh, to church Mm -hmm. every week, et cetera, et cetera. And then he graduates from high school. And very quickly, he loses that Christian peer group. He loses his mentor. He loses the need to do his mm-hmm. his Bible study. He loses all sorts of things. Then he goes off to university, and if he doesn't get stuck right into a Christian organization that's going to support him or a church that's going to support him, he continues to lose more and more ground. Yeah. And we shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. by that outcome. Yeah, it's because, like holding your breath. Yeah, it's like holding your breath or mm-hmm. not not eating. You just Mm -hmm. go, you had a great diet, and now how did you lose that 50 pounds? I haven't eaten anything in a long time. And you go, that's exactly (laughs) what has tended to happen. And that issue of transition failure is a really significant piece of this work. It's not just how do you build a good young professionals outreach or a good university program. It's actually looking at transition failure and saying, 
we want to make sure that we don't have that. And there is a problem with the post-university age group, as I said, as well, where they're establishing their core beliefs. They're starting to have to stand firm in those core beliefs on their own. They're making foundational decisions, some of the most important decisions of their life. The young professional years are, in fact, the critical phase of becoming an adult. You go through this adulting phase into mature adulthood. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So I guess could you talk more about what exactly is going from adulting to full full adulthood? Sure. Sure. The, the main thing that happens in your young professional years is you're confronted by nonstop change. Um, you go from living with one set of friends to living with another set of friends, possibly then moving back home, possibly then mo- living with a third set of friends. Some of your friends have gotten married. Some of your friends haven't gotten mm-hmm. married. You tend to hang out with the friends that haven't gotten married because the married folks, as much as they might say, hey, we're going to still do all this stuff all together, you know, it doesn't happen. And when children come along, it doesn't happen even more. <laughs> and there you are. Uh, you change jobs. The first job that you got after college, well, that worked out okay but it was really a stepping stone to a much better one, so I took that job. It meant I had to move all the way across the city. I lost a whole set of the friends that I had started to make if I was like in a large company that had a lot of people my age mm-hmm. or not. Uh, I just met, met them through whatever I met them through. It's just a huge change phase. And you're used to growing up in a stable family environment, hopefully, and then you're in a university environment where you've got a stable set of friends as well, that you mainly go through college with the same, pretty much the same set of friends. Mm-hmm. You're on a campus with 40,000 people. You do not meet 39,000 of them during your university years. You may meet possibly 100, and of those, you have a core group of probably 20 who are your closer friends that you do stuff with. So that's what's going on, a huge amount of change during those years. Then you got the question of how do you go from I'm just passing out of my university years, but am I really a full-fledged, fixed, firm adult yet? You can ask people in their in their twenties, "Are you an adult?" And oftentimes you get the answer, "Well, maybe." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort of. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, that's what you get. End of formal education, which can be early 20s. But if you're in law school or med school, it can be quite late into your 20s before you're done with the education phase of your life. And usually that's one of the things that needs to finish before you get into the kind of full adult reality. And one of the things that's happened over the last 30 to 40 years is that that marker has delayed quite a bit. When I look back at my grandfather, he had an eighth grade education. My dad had a high school education. I got a college education. Most of my nephews and nieces went on for three or four years of education after university. People used to marry much younger. The average marrying age was 21 for women and 22 for men. But now, 50 years later, the average age is 29 and 30. And you look at that and you say, wow, there's a whole new phase of life that is called being a young uh, professional. And the final markers of adulthood, being married, having children, 
owning your own home, being debt-free, all of those things are now goals for when you're 30 to 34, and they used to be goals to have in place by the time you're 24. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a fairly substantial shift in when do you meet these markers that are the things that reinforce in your own psyche, I am now an adult, I am no longer a young person, I am no longer a young adult, I am really an adult. You ask your adult friends who have, who are married with kids and a mortgage, are you an adult? They will say yes, <laughs> because they met some of those markers. Now, I think it's also really important to say that the key marker is when do you identify as an adult and say, I'm an adult now. I need to handle my life as an adult. I need to handle my life with responsibility and recognizing that that's the way to, to, to into adulthood. But this delayed adulthood reality is just, it, it, it's the way things are. Mm. So I guess with this delayed adulthood, there's obviously a, a difference from the way, how long it used to take to transition. Is this, is this a trend or is it here to stay? Because I think a lot of people, young professionals particularly, feel like the older generations see this extended transition time as a problem that needs to be fixed instead of a stage of life that we should we should come alongside. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's one of the, the most important things that I think the older generation does really need to understand. It's funny because their life was really different than their parents as well. Mm. Uh, and their parents were saying to them, well, you're just not doing what we used to do. You're not doing it the way that we used to do it. It doesn't make sense to them. And it, that's just reality. It's the way things work. But I do think that, that this new stage of life of uh, being a an adult yet not an adult in transition from a student to an adult, that is a new stage. We don't have a word for it. We didn't used to have a word for teenager mm-hmm. because people just went from being a child to starting work on the farm or in the family business or whatever. You didn't go through the teenage years. So we don't really have a great term. Young adults gets used a lot, but uh, there's no really great term for the, the stage of life. But the stage is here to stay. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to go back and saying, well, why don't we all just go back to getting eighth grade educations? Uh, <laughs> and then we don't have this problem anymore. No, you're still going to have this problem. Modern education is real. The fact that it takes longer is real. So are things like more debt. It takes more money to get through college. It takes more money to buy your first house. You have to save up more. There's greater unemployment at the moment. That could shift. And there's more relational instabilities. This is the case. And the question is not, is it real? Is it here to stay? Every change has its costs. We're in the middle of a change. It's life. We need to deal with it. Well, I guess that that uh, leads us to the next question is is how? How do we how do we deal with this in the state in the point of time that we're at right now? Yeah, it's a good question. Because uh, again, I would tie it back into we need a solution for the whole 13 to 30 range that solves every problem along the way as best as we can so that people can make the transition from 13 to 30 and not fall into the river. We call it the youth bridge because it's meant to be a, a bridge across these these uh, tumultuous years that help us emerge on the other side with uh, adult faith. But when I look at it and ask, do I think the church is handling this problem? Well, my honest response is no. Check mm. the pews this Sunday. Mm. If you see a bunch of 22 to 30-year-olds, you can tell me I'm wrong. But I don't see them at the typical church. 
we're not holding, attracting, and sustaining that age group very, very well. Now, I think it would really be worth getting into the question of what do we need to do for the real disciples that are out there who would want to go to church or might be going to church in order to help them get through that stage. But this isn't mainly about how do we care for the disciples. This is, I think, where we really want to get into the questions of how do disciples make disciples? Uh, exactly. The outreach piece. Exactly. Let's switch over to the outreach piece then. The people who will be listening to this podcast are people who already want to do that. Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, I think that is half of the battle already. Finding people who are eager to pass on their faith, and there are a lot of them there, is critical to being able to get up an outreach that does, in fact, pass on the faith. Mm. You're halfway home already. So we're halfway home. What's the, what's the other 50% that, that these outreaches are lacking? They want to do it. They're in for 50%. That's 50% there. What's the other 50%? Well, I think it, it, it's a little hard to describe it in, in perfect detail, but certainly some of it is we've got to answer the question, how do you do it? How do you do outreach to young professionals? You're not running a high school youth program anymore. Mm. You're not dealing with people who have a university schedule with huge amounts of flexibility in it. So how do you do it? Where do you start? What's our strategy? This is where I think the, the developmental work especially needs to be done. It's a, when we don't know what to do, we often don't do anything. Mm. When we don't know the right thing to do, we do nothing. Often I know I should be doing something, but because I don't know what to do, I don't do anything. There's a, uh, an old Irish saying about a man who is lost in the countryside, and he walks up to a farmer and he says, how do you get to Dublin from here? And the, the Irishman says, oh, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> the point being that you've got to start from where you are. And wherever you are in the young professional world, you've got to start right where you are. Do you have some friends and who want to do this? And if you do, then you can get something started. Then you have to ask, so what do we have in the circumstances that we're in? How do we get started? What kind of plan do we go with? And you just get, get started. Mm. So a lot of it is, I think, the lack of knowledge or understanding of what to do. And I, I think we'll want to get into a bunch more of that in, in future podcast what can you do how could you get started Absolutely. what are the ways to start etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. so i think that's the, the first obstacle is we don't know what to do therefore we're not doing anything the second one is is fear mm. and this isn't necessarily a huge one but it it works in in some people fairly clearly it's a it's a fear of failure well if we tried something but what if it doesn't work nobody wants to be a failure i think it's helpful to use a sports analogy here which is in Christian ministry, you have to be prepared for failure. It will happen, and it will happen a fair amount. Does it happen as often as you don't get on base in baseball? If you get on base one time in every three at-bats, you are a great You're baseball You're going to the player. Hall of Fame, yeah. You're in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But if you only make one in three free throws, you're not on the team in right, basketball. right. What's the right kind of failure rate to expect with Christian ministry? I, well, I don't know where to put it, but I just mainly want to say you need to expect a certain amount of that. But I think there's a lot of people I know for myself when I was young, fear of failure was a much more significant element in life because you hadn't gone through that many failures yet and didn't know you could survive them. 
But as I get older, I recognize no failure is just part of life. And mm -hmm. uh, you get back up and you try again and you say, oh, that's what I did wrong the first time. Now if I do it this way, it'll work. So I think people have to be in it with the recognition that what they might try first might not work. And then you go back and try something else. Uh, so that, I think, is a, is a second key thing in terms of answering that question, what's the other 50%. But let me give you a, a couple of, of things that I think are actually quite critical. One is just having the right mentality. This is a huge opportunity with young professionals. It's an incredible opportunity. With young professionals, you're looking at people who, in many cases, they're still forming their foundational beliefs. What am I going to believe for the rest of my life? How am I going to make sense out of the world? And even in a postmodern world where people say, well, the world doesn't make sense, you just got to live with the fact that it doesn't make sense. That is the way that you make sense out of it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But for Christians, we can make sense out of the world. We can understand things like sin and redemption, our own weaknesses, our own failures, the help of the grace of God, why evil exists, why suffering exists. We can make sense out of that world. Young professionals, most of them would rather know that truth exists and what that truth is than be just awash in a sea of confusion. Mm -hmm. So they're open to that kind of belief and learning a worldview that works for them. Second thing that I think is a huge opportunity is most young professionals don't have a stable set of peers. They don't have a stable set of friends. They had them in high school. They had a, a challenge when they first went to college. They had to find their new friends. But then once they found them, they had them. Now they go out into the, the working world and say they work for General Motors or the local pharmacy. They're working at the local pharmacy. How many friends do you make with the other employees in the local pharmacy? Well, let's see. That one's my grandmother's age, and that one is the <laughs> owner of the company, and he's not going to talk to me like a buddy. I don't have friends at work. Where do I have my friends? Well, um, especially if I had to go to Denver to get a job in pharmacy. Mm. I'm now really on my own. You've got a lot of people who are in that kind of phase of reality. Who are my friends? They're looking for friends. And if we provide them with good friendship environments, that's going to make a big difference. In fact, a good young professional outreach is built around this opportunity. If we can manage to set up environments that are really friendly, that are loyal, they're gracious, they're inclusive, where do young professionals get that? Not in a lot of places. You provide that, people are going to want to come back. So that relational opportunity, that worldview opportunity, those are great opportunities. And I'd say we have to start with both clarifying our own and then learning how to be gracious and friendly. One of our uh, young professional outreach leaders used the term a genius for relationship. What mm -hmm. we want to do is we want to help people develop a genius for relationship because that will be a key thing to attracting people into relationships and into environments where eventually they can hear more and more about the gospel. Let me finish by just saying a couple things about what I think every young professional outreach needs uh, just to finish this Please. point. So the first one is this right environment that I just covered. People will come back to a strongly relational environment. It works like gravity. They're attracted to it. They'll be back. The second one is this ability to have intentional conversations, this genius for relationship. 
helping people to move from, I'm not actually interested in having a conversation with you about the gospel, to, well, you know, I'm at least open to having a conversation, and then I become actually interested in the conversation, Mm. and I take part more and more in it, to wrestling with the whole God question, and what does this mean for my life, to finally engaging the gospel and saying yes to the Lord. Helping people know how to move through that, or learning how to help people move through that is the genius of friendship it's also the genius of evangelization and then finally i think a good young professional's outreach just has a way to move whole groups of people through a process like that so that they would be able to come into that kind of faith with a group of friends that gives them a new understanding of what the gospel is and what it means to be part of the church, to be part of the body, to have these kinds of friends who you'd call brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we can get there, that's the goal. Yeah. Wow. You gave us a a lot to build on just in those three closing comments, how to build a high-quality friendship environment, how to have intentional conversations, and how to set up a process that helps take people through their next step of their faith. I'm pretty sure it would also be just good to understand the world of YP's better. I'm hoping we can get into that later down the line in, in these podcasts. But all this is just theory, right? Unless we actually look at some actual YPOs, see what people are actually doing. How do they start? What are they doing now? A lot of our audience is just going to get started, and there's nothing more helpful than seeing how other people also got started. So with that being said, we're going to have Ann Arbor Luis Arce and Dallas, who started the Ann Arbor Young Professional Outreach Chapter, on in our next podcast. We're going to hear how they got started, what are they doing now, what have they learned, and we're hoping that that's going to give our listeners, you people, the opportunity to, to learn from their mistakes and also learn from what they're doing right now and put it into play in your own YPOs. Mike, thanks for your time. We'll see you, we'll see you soon as you're going to be a regular contributor to the show, and thank you for listening to the Young Professional Podcast. Yeah.